And so getting somebody to just open up and they can actually like assist them into a stretch. And as they hold, they know that like, hey, I'm putting a lot of effort into this without jamming up everything or like feeling I have to go like super hard all the time. And it just kind of gets them to just kind of unwind and relax. This is The Tournament Code. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today, Jonathan. Before we dive into your fitness work, let's start at the beginning for you. Tell us just how you got into the game of golf. It's kind of an interesting story just because I didn't grow up playing golf. I, I grew up in Texas, and Texas, if you don't play football, something's wrong with you, you know, it seems like. So I grew up mainly playing football, running track. Went to uh, Texas A&M, got an exercise science degree, and then from there started working with clients. I was originally going to go more into the physical therapy route and started working with clients that just loved it. And so I got more into more of the uh, general population, kind of working on you know building muscle, losing fat, that kind of stuff. I moved uh, later, probably like maybe five years later, up to North Carolina just because my best friend in college he ended up moving up here and moved up here and saw all the trees. And in Texas, it was like so hot. There was like, Every tree, it looks like looks like it's not, it's dead, even though it's living. There's like no leaves on them at all. So just loved it, and just happened to be that all my clients up here just play golf. And so one, one day, one person gave me some clubs and thought I could play it just because I can play the majority of sorts and and kind of learn quickly how cool golf is. And so from there, I was just you know so interested just in the fact of like how you know what's so different about this sport compared to other sports, and how can I end up getting a little bit better at it. And so I started kind of diving into just learning more about, you know, just physical attributes of golf itself. Later got certified through TPI and which is the Titleist Performance Institute. And from there just kept on, it, it was just kind of like this like rabbit hole that I'm still kind of like traveling down as far as just kind of understanding like what are things that golfers need? Like how can we get, you know, golfers better? And, and through that, just understanding what different players need in order to play their best and, and as I started kind of doing that, I just started working with better players and just constantly asking questions from golf coaches in the area of like, hey, what do you see? You know, like, what are some of your golfers struggling with? And what do you think could be the fix? Or how could I help you maybe possibly improve some of the positions that they're in? And so from there, it just kind of turned into, you know, 95% of the clients I work with happen to be all golfers. I kind of work from, you know, PJ, college, Corn Ferry, to you can kind of like your typical country club golfer and in, in, in everyday hat also like myself. Tell us a little bit more about your practice and what that looks like in theory. Cause I think there's lots of different methodologies or I'll rephrase. There's a decent number of methodologies as to what golf fitness should look like. And for some people and probably the more old school people, it looks one way compared to more modern theories that focus maybe let like back in the day, I can remember talking with guests who said back in the day, you know, we never lifted weights. That was something we didn't do because we didn't want to like ruin our golf swing. We didn't ruin our frame. And all we did was stretching. Now things seem to have changed more. Tell us a little bit about your practice and what it looks like when an athlete comes to you. I guess kind of going back into like the, the CPI route and that their philosophy is, it's understanding there's there's thousands of ways to swing a golf club. There's one specific way for you to swing. And so we're really trying to identify that. 
you know, what's the one thing that could make you better? And so from like personality to like time constraints to just how well do you recover? You know, how much time do you have in between rounds? Are you playing a lot of golf? Are you playing, you know, kind of are you picking and choosing which tournaments to play? So what's that time period look like for you? And 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 when are we also thinking of of kind of ramping up and trying to perform at our best? And so we try to consider all these things as far as kind of a long-term plan for you or just have an overall plan and then try to work ourselves all the way back. I, I think for the most part, you know, in the in the past, most people would just kind of say, hey, you know, you should be focusing more on flexibility where I think now you kind of see a lot of golfers who are, you know, kind of like Rory, they're like loading the bar up and, and lifting heavy. And so for my approach, it's, it's kind of probably more so in between those two of really kind of understanding kind of where you're at in season and trying to figure out just kind of what we need to do to get you to play your best. And so what's neat about now is that we have all kinds of different technology from like whoops, uh, Orbans, uh, Apple watches to using something like a BBT or even like that machine behind me, which is like a Proteus and really understanding kind of where you're performing at and, and understanding, hey, do we need to work more on strength or have you accomplished that metric already? And now do we need to work on more speed? And so just kind of understanding where you're at and knowing that there's always this continuation of one or the other and that there's times where we need to kind of focus more on strength and there's times where we need to dial that back because we've already met our strength profile and now we need to add more speed to that or we need to add more stability and we we gained all this mobility but if we can't control that mobility then we can't really use that mobility and so understanding you know when do we need to focus more on stretching when do we need to focus more on stability when do we need to focus more on strength and when do we need to focus more on speed and and just having some kpis where we can actually track and measure and look back on and say okay well, you know, these are the things that you were doing whenever you're playing your best and let's get back to that. Or we understand that like, hey, your strength level has dipped because we spent maybe a little bit too much time in the speed aspect. So now let's ramp up our strength over again so that kind of carry us through our next performance. Interesting that you mentioned Rory. I know when he first started lifting, he gained a lot of weight, looked a lot bigger. And when he wouldn't play well, people would say, oh, he got too big. Do you think that Rory got too big or do you even think that this is a possibility for golfers to get too big? I don't think Rory got too big. I think I think for the most part, I think the main reason why he started to work out more or have more emphasis on his training was just because of all the back pain that he had. And he's he's so fast. And so we kind of look at that strength and speed profile, right? And that like if his speed and his his hips move so quickly that he needs to have enough strength to be able to stabilize that, especially like over the course of the season and how many tournaments he ends up playing in. So I think for him, I think strength is one of those aspects that he always has to work on or continue to work on just because of how fast he naturally is. But I do think that there's times where you look at somebody like Bryson, for instance, who gained a bunch of weight and was bombing the ball and all of a sudden now he's, he's lost a lot. And so I think when you start to look at, you know, how do I end up gaining weight and understanding that I have to eat a lot more calories and knowing that, hey, does that give you fuel so that you can perform better? Or does maybe that overeating cause you to feel sluggish and, and now you're not performing at your best and you're just kind of feeling that extra weight on you as you end up performing? So it, it, it's a little bit of kind of going back into the disunderstanding kind of like what works best for you and, and a little bit of a of kind of a body style too where Rory's you know, he was kind of like a pudgy guy when he first came on and then he got really lean and now he's just like bulked up and added a lot of muscle. And I think that's probably a good size for his frame. And that I think he's like, what, like 180, 185, probably, you know, maybe 200, maybe you're kind of thinking maybe that that's too much weight for him. 
I, I'm sure based on, he has a lot of smart people in his corner too, of, of he's kind of looking at the long term. So I mean, if it's two pounds a year and by the time he's 40 years old, he's 200 pounds. Like I, I think over that time period, that would, that would be fine for him also. So I think it's just a matter of, of, uh, of having a plan, working that plan, and then making those adjustments, whether you're playing well or you're not playing well. I think Bryson probably would have, if he had been winning, I think he'd, he'd be 300 pounds right now based on how he takes things to the extremes. And I feel like maybe he kind of felt like, hey, I, I got to kind of dial this back a little bit. And when he did, all of a sudden now he's lighting it up and shooting 58. So, I mean, he might lose more weight. But not. What are some of the things that can happen if a player is fast like Rory, but he doesn't have the strength to stabilize it yeah and i think that just kind of opens up uh, some possible injury windows and so we kind of look at having kind of this like strength and speed and strength and speed and kind of knowing there's a continuum between the two of those and there's always a continuation of one or the other and we're not stopping one but it's just that we don't want you know our strength to be here and then all of a sudden our speed ends up becoming you know so fast that now there's this huge gap between the two because now you know, I, I just can't use that speed to my advantage because there's always, I, I need to be able to stabilize it and I can only accelerate as fast as I can decelerate. And maybe if I get too fast, maybe I can't decelerate that speed as well. And so that's where maybe things might end up kind of going a little wrong. Like my, I might have a little bit more wrist injury because I can't stabilize that speed. And now my hand's kind of coming away and I'm having to use my wrist like a brake. And, you know, there, there's all, all kinds of stuff that could happen in the golf swing. I just feel like, there has to be kind of a good balance between where you're at and just kind of understand that like we can't just go in in one direction for too long without bringing the other up. When it comes to the relationship of speed and strength, how do you determine what that relationship should look like? And it, specifically, let's say I'm really strong, but I don't have it doesn't seem like I have the requisite amount or as much speed as you would expect for someone as strong as I am. What does, A, what do the measurements look like? Like what measurements are you looking at and how are you comparing across different players or something of that nature? I use a little bit of a cheat code just because I have the Proteus and it literally pulls all these reports up and gives you, you basically go through an assessment. It gives you like a breakdown as far as like, hey, this is where you kind of fall at based on these golfers. And so really it's kind of looking at it from, if your strength level falls below 51 percentile of what they see in, in your cohort, you know, from age to weight, uh, skill level, if it falls below 51 percentile, then, you know, then basically we need to bring that strength foundation up before we then address speed. And then, so once we bring that strength profile up, then all of a sudden now we're looking at speed. So if you're 52 percent, we're going to say, hey, let's bring your speed up. And then once we bring that speed up now, once we get it up to over 51%, and then we're going to go back into strength and then bring that up above and then continue to go back to the speed. But we can use all kinds of different metrics as far as, you know, one of the simple ones is kind of understanding like, hey, from football player to baseball player to golfer, there's going to be different strength requirements for each one of those sports. And so a lot of it, I try to think of like, hey, let's get you at least to like a one-to-one ratio of your body weight, uh, whatever lift we're doing. And let's hit that first. And then we can add a little bit of speed. And then I would say, hey, let's go to like 1.25. And then let's add a little bit of speed. And then let's go to 1.5. And, and there's going to be a little bit of differences between lower body to upper body movements. And so like if we're doing a bench press and you weigh 150 pounds, I would say, hey, let's get 150 pounds. And then once we do, then 
all of a sudden we hit 150. And then I would say, hey, we're going to be doing a lot of you know, medicine ball chest passes. And we're going to measure that and measure the distance that you can end up kind of throwing that ball. And then once we get to that point, let's go back to bench press and let's get that number up. And then let's go back to chest, you know, chest pass. Now let's see if we can get that even further. And you can do that. That's one example. You can do that for all kinds of stuff from, you know, legs to like uh, vertical jump to, you know, shot put throws. But it's just really just kind of having some kind of a framework that you can end up kind of measuring your progress against. And just kind of knowing like, hey, I've, I've already hit this standard. And now let me go address this next standard. And then let me get that standard. And then let me go back over and let's see if we can improve that. And it's just kind of going into this checks and balance and just kind of understanding that I can't be benching, you know, 250 pounds and my chest pass be that of somebody who's, you know, swing speed is, you know, 95 miles an hour. I mean, that's not going to help me out. And just kind of knowing that from a golf standpoint, you know, the, the big thing about it is a, a golf club's not very heavy. And so there's, there's a set amount of strength that I need to have, but it's not like a heavy object that I have to really demonstrate a ton of strength to be able to use the golf club, right? It's, there's a lot of ground force and a lot of, like kind of like sequencing within your movement and and also a golf swing happens within one second and so a lot of times when we look at these numbers we kind of look at it as far as strength is kind of like hey this is our horsepower that a car would have but we also got to understand what's what's our acceleration how fast can we go from zero to 60 you know as quickly as possible and so we we can start to look at you know strength and speed and then also when do we end up hitting that that heat speed you know how fast can that kind of ramp up and get to my full acceleration Tell us what the Proteus is. I don't know. I, I'm actually not familiar with it. And if I, I'm not, I, I imagine a decent number of our listeners aren't either. Proteus may think of the best way to say this. I'm sure somebody who's listening to this is, is like, use the Proteus or knows somebody who uses the Proteus and they'll send it to them. Uh, so Proteus can measure any kind of movement and it looks at strength and speed and kind of get, and can give you like a breakdown of like rotational movement. It's almost like working out in water and that wherever I go, that's where resistance will be at. And so you can get really explosive and do these really dynamic movements without having a lot of pressure coming back on you. Like, a, you know, if I did a bench press, I'm going to have weight that's going to be pushing back. If I use a Proteus, I'll demo it for your clients so they can see it. But I could, you know, I could basically push this thing, you know, like straight up and it would just stay there. I mean, so you can like, you know, like, there's like, like you can like swing this thing fast as you can and it'll actually give you how fast your speed was and what was your like what was your watts and and so it starts to measure strength and speed for you and kind of gives you like this really cool breakdown it's almost like like i have these medicine balls that have sensors inside of them and they actually can measure like how fast did you throw the ball how what was the distance of that ball throw so it just kind of gives you all these different numbers that you can end up using and then and then basically kind of keeping those on record the, the measure against that basically does you know what you would need essentially you know like 200 different pieces of equipment to use that testing and it does it within like seven minutes i think bryson um uses a proteus doesn't he yeah, yeah yeah i think he like invested in it honestly gotcha interesting and so when it comes when a player comes to you first time you've seen this player tell us what intake looks like are you going through full tpi test are you going through proteus what does that look like so i I do a little bit of like a hybrid and so i went through the golf digest certification also and and spent a lot of time with uh ben shear who's that guy's the man y'all should have him on your podcast if you can get him on so there's a little bit of like the golf digest kind of goes into a lot of different 
like modalities of like testing players and understanding like posture and uses the Agassiz method method and uses a little bit of PRI and like breathing uh, to look at like asymmetries. And then he uses a lot of stuff from uh, foam rolling and fascial work. And then it ends up using uh, some of the stuff in CPI as far as the FMS model of looking at stable joints, the mobile joints. And then what's really cool, it, it actually also looks at just like the golf swing itself. And it uses a lot of Mike Adams and Terry Rawls philosophies from like lead post to center post to rear post and really starts to understand, okay, based on how a player ends up pivoting and posting within their golf swing and understanding everything else from their posture to some asymmetries to how they breathe, the fascial work, and how tight they are to movements uh, within the golf swing itself, you know, what would benefit that player more and how do we prioritize certain movements over others based on that? And then from there, we can really understand, you know, what does a player need to improve? and spend more work on based on just kind of giving them, hey, you know, you didn't do so well in these exercises. These are the, you know, do so well in these movements. And these are some exercises you need to do where the other approach is a little bit more of, hey, you know, kind of understanding how you move from how stable you are, how mobile you are, how much strength you have, how fast you end up moving. Also kind of looking at you from a posture standpoint, understanding how you breathe, understanding some asymmetries. From there, we can really kind of get dialed in to like, what's going to be best for you from an efficiency standpoint and then from an effective standpoint as well. When Daniel and I were first starting our golf training and we were following most of the TPI stuff, we never really did any like bench press. We did some deadlifts and squats, but we never really did mostly like of the, most of the Olympic lifts. And why do you think that golfers never really train this? And why do you think it's kind of coming into more of the mainstream now? to train this yeah so so i think of for the most part i think from like olympic movements sometimes you just kind of look at the risk to reward on some of those and so i think from olympic movements like i I think they're great i also feel like there's a good time to train for those so if you're a junior like i think it's excellent just to understand and learn how to how to olympic train but if you're an adult i feel like not that you can't learn it i just feel like if you have a job and you're sitting behind a desk, I just feel like there's other movements that might be better for you to get faster, to get stronger, to get more explosive than doing things that might end up causing more injuries. So I think there's a little bit of a place and time for some of those movements. So some of these golfers who are kind of coming on, I think it's just a little bit of like these guys ended up doing a lot of Olympic lifts in the past when they were young and they're still able to do them. They know good form, good technique and I think the guys you see on on more on social media who are like pro golfers, I mean, they have a whole team around them. And that's kind of their job is to be to, to be professional athletes where, you know, the general population is going to be people who are going to be sitting behind a desk, you know, whenever they're traveling or playing golf, the time period they have to get ready or to recover afterwards isn't the same that you would see for some of these pro golfers. So I think if you learned it early on, I think it's great. I think there's also like other things you can end up seeing, like you see like like these jammer arms that people are using. I think those things are great, you know, for kind of learning how to do some of the, some of the Olympic movements. What's so a I jammer think, arm? It's a good question. It's it's like on my, it's on like three of my shopping parts right now. I'm waiting for like the Labor Day sale to like get the, the purchase one of these. But it, it's basically like a, it's almost kind of like that handle that ends up hooking onto a rack. So it's like a suspended weight. So there's not necessarily like this big catching phase or this like overload phase. So like if you think of um, a landmine press, which is really good in that 
my hand actually kind of moves a little bit of an angle. So there's not going to be so much of an impingement at the top of my shoulder because of the angle and the space that I have from my shoulder. So I can finish the movement without it being directly over my head. Jam arms are really great because of how that lever kind of moves more at an angle. And also you, you can set, they have all kinds of these cool attachments that would take some of that load off so that it's not coming directly back at you and causing so much compression or possible injuries. When it comes to a workout, what does an, at, let's say player comes to you, you've gone through all your stuff and you get their assessment and let's say there's no major deficiencies or anything like that. What does, and you prescribe them a workout regimen. And let's say in this hypothetical scenario, let's assume that like they're, not off it. They don't have their own programming from their college. And maybe this is the off season, something, something of that nature. What does an ideal workout regimen look like for you from these perspectives? One, like how many days per week are we talking? How many, how many minutes or hours is the workout? And what is that time broken down into between, you know, warm up between uh strength, between, speed and what is, and let's say we don't train strength and speed on the same day or something of that, or at the same time, what do, what does that allocation look like? So ideally what I normally end up putting for my clients, and I kind of tell them like, Hey, you know, our goal for this phase would be, you know, if we had five days, our goal would be to at least hit two strength days and two active recovery days. If we can, let's hit three strength days. But for the most part, we'll have like a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for kind of our strength days. And then active recovery days are going to be more like on our Tuesdays and Thursdays. And we're almost kind of thinking of this a little bit of like undulation in that my goal is to get stronger and faster, right? You know, be a better athlete. So Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays are going to be the days that I kind of prioritize more of my effort and work through. So Tuesdays and Thursdays are really kind of priming me so that I can perform best on that Wednesday or that Friday, or you can set it up for that. Sunday so that you can perform best on, on Monday, however you want to set that up. But that's usually how I end up setting it up. So Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays are going to be total body workouts. I would say 60 minutes. If we have 60 minutes, perfect. And, and we try to kind of break this down into, like, I have some clients that are like, hey, we can do 30 minutes before, and then I can I can finish off with 30 minutes, and that's perfectly fine. And so we're just trying to fit that into your schedule. Well, let's say if you had 60 minutes, Usually we want to do something that's going to help reset the body as far as kind of getting my diaphragm and my pelvis to stack on top of each other. So we might do some things where our hamstrings help kind of pull our pelvis underneath us. We might end up doing something that kind of gets our hamstrings to fire up. We might do something that kind of gets our obliques to help us or fire up also because that's going to help pull me from side to side. And so we're just trying to think about how can we get your diaphragm to get stacked on top? Or if you're really tight, that might include kind of foam rolling also we're kind of thinking of this like release phase or this re reset phase and that's going to be about five minutes or so that we'll kind of start your workout with five to seven minutes and some clients i'll tell them you know like you, you can use a bear gun if that's that helps you out all we're trying to do is just trying to get ready to get wind up so that we can end up working out and so we'll kind of go through that a after we go through that we're going through a little bit of activation series just trying to get some you know some stability and kind of get muscles fired up after that. So we're kind of going through activation here. Uh, activation that might take you know, five to seven minutes, depending on the client. And then after that, we're going into like our power phase. And there's going to be about two to three sets 
three reps to five reps between. We're not really trying to like burn out. It's basically just going to be like everything we're doing is, is going to be intense and it's going to be like as hard and as fast and as much intention behind being fast and strong in that movement itself or explosive in that movement itself. And then after that, that probably leaves us with about 40 minutes or so. And there's about 35 minutes of actual strength training left. And so we'll have probably four, we'll call them like compound movements, followed by like two accessory movements right afterwards. And then maybe like five minutes of kind of a cool down. And some clients, they might need a little bit of uh, conditioning work. And so we might end up doing something like, hey, let's go through, you know, 30 seconds on of kettlebell swings at, with the light weight, 30 seconds off, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, 30 seconds off. Or it might just be someone who's like really stressed out all the time. And we might give them something else like, hey, let's kind of go through like some breathing drills and kind of like relax and like stretch out a little bit. And so it's really kind of understanding the person, kind of figuring out what they need more of. And then our active recovery days are going to be kind of focused more on just kind of a lot of mobility and stability and, and kind of addressing some of the things maybe that we end up finding like, Hey, you, you passed this test whenever we did our assessment, but you know, could we get this a little bit better or under, understanding kind of like your body itself? Maybe, you know, like these things might show up if you end up playing a lot of golf or if you have, you know, work where you're going to be sitting behind a desk for a long period of time. Like we just under, understand like what might be coming up. And so let's head that off on your active recovery dates. If you did pass everything and those days are going to be also spent more on like, force absorption so like pogo jumps and things that are going to be kind of helping out with some tendon health we might do some isometric work or we might end up just kind of doing some things that are going to allow us to like absorb force a little bit better and so we'll have monday wednesday friday had full body workouts hitting everything and then tuesday thursday kind of more of like um addressing everything we need to address as far as what might come up if you pass everything and then also just kind of helping primus for that that those other two days that's a little bit of a ramble but i'd like to do a go a little more specific into the type of workout or routine that you would prescribe to somebody who's stressed out all the time, because, you know, from experience, I know tournament golf can be very stressful and sometimes things that you do in the gym can help mitigate that. I just like to, um, hear, hear what more about what you do. I, I love doing a lot of breathing drills, you know, where we're kind of really focused on kind of getting out of that fight stage all the time and kind of work, working on just kind of like relaxing and understanding what like rest looks like. Sometimes we'll end up having this as, as far as like, let's separate this and really kind of dial in and say, Hey, like before you go to bed, you know, we're going to do five minutes of just breathing drills where your feet are just going to be elevated kind of in this 90 degree position. And all you're doing is just trying to like work on, you know, getting this big inhale, holding it for two seconds and then kind of getting this long exhale. So we're kind of doing this six second inhale, two second hold, six second exhale. And we're just being intentional about our breathing and just trying to relax. And usually that alone will really kind of help someone just kind of reset a little bit. Sometimes we might have to like change positions of like, hey, let's get you on your back. Or we might have to just kind of get you almost kind of a consistent like uh, like child pose position to where all of a sudden now we're trying to get breath and air kind of in the backside a little bit more, or kind of, you know, we can kind of think about like how our diaphragm like works in this kind of 3D action and then kind of understand like how we can get breath in and out. You know, a lot of times it's more of just kind of like just kind of ramping down, just understanding like, hey, let's take a little bit longer as we kind of like stretch, hold a little bit. I, I love using the the stick mobility also. Have you ever seen those? So basically it's, um, I, I tell clients, it's, it's more than just like a fancied up PVC pipe. 
but it's almost like you can really kind of like stretch and like hold certain positions and, and get a lot of flex and tension into this stick. And so what I like about it is that most of the clients that end up coming in are like so tense and they're so type A that they're like, let's go, let's go, let's go, like let's hit it hard. And what's great about that is that you get the sense of like, this is really hard for me to hold this stretch for such a long time because either I'm really tight or I'm like overstressed. And so getting somebody to just open up and they can actually like assist them into a stretch. And as they hold, they know that like, hey, I'm putting a lot of effort into this without jamming up everything or like feeling I have to go like super hard all the time. And it just kind of gets them to just kind of unwind and relax. And that's kind of the goal of it more than anything else. And so we can start to kind of work on that fashion, not being so wound up and so like, you know, just tight. And we can actually kind of open up, create some space, especially from golfers as far as, hey, like it's it's so one side dominant more than anything else. So one side is going to be a little bit more closed off. One side is going to be a little bit more open. And so we can start to kind of understand like, hey, we know that that right hip is going to get a little bit jammed up. We know the back like QL is going to be a little bit more fired up. We know that left like so as is going to be a little bit tighter, especially if you're like traveling to a lot of golf tournaments just from like a posture standpoint. And so let's kind of get you into certain positions that might help open these things up or get a little bit more, it takes some tone out of that. And so I feel like those scenes really, for the most part, I feel like those make a big impact in the, in the clients that I end up working with. Well, that's a nice segue to talk a little bit about uh, static stretching, dynamic stretches, and also things like myofascial uh, release, foam rolling, et cetera. I think there's, and I'm actually going to leave this one open-ended as opposed to anything else. Just tell us your thoughts on those topics generally and the utility of them. Great question. So, so sometimes I just think of it as far as I, I like all of them. So I like doing, you know, like I like static stretches. I like dynamic stretches and kind of like understanding like what what is the client like? What works well for you is kind of what we'll end up using a lot of. I, I use a lot of Theragun for a lot of my clients. It's almost kind of like our like therapy session as I like turn that thing on and it starts like, you know, vibrating or like using percussions. I just feel like people open up and kind of relax. And sometimes that venting is like a little bit of just that stress and kind of like taking some of that like, like anxiety just away. And all of a sudden now I can kind of get into this like relaxed phase. Right. And I like a foam roller and a foam roller is like really good just for like self-discovery. Like I get somebody on a foam roller and they're like, all right, I'll roll around. And all of a sudden they're like, I didn't realize that hip was really that tight. Like I didn't realize my calf was really so like all, all of a sudden you can kind of use these things to really kind of like uh, just self like assess like where am, where am I at? And I, I think that's kind of the, a, an underutilized tool as far as just doing like a self scan of like, Hey, like whenever I do this, like, how do I feel afterwards? Do I feel better? Does it help me out? And the goal is really just to try to do more of that stuff and, and trying to understand like, when do I need to do it? And how does that impact or how does that show up whenever I end up playing? And so I, I like them all. I, I just feel like, you know, there's not, they're not wrong. If you go more into static stretching and more into dynamic, I feel like people get so caught up into like, you need to do this and research says this and you need to do that. And it's more of just kind of like, Hey, well, like, how do you feel after you do it? Like, does it help you out? Like, do you, is it, you know, like, is it just get your mind to not get so focused on like how you played the last time and you can actually just kind of like relax and just like, you know, like let that go. You know, I think a lot of times, like I've heard 
guys who end up using a lot of like mental training of like, hey, like one of the things they end up doing whenever they get home is like they go straight to like take a shower. And as they take a shower, they're almost kind of like washing away whatever their performance was, whether it was like good or bad. And they're trying to get out of into this neutral setting of like, hey, that's already happened and I can't dwell on it anymore. I think sometimes foam rolling and stretching can kind of be the same way mentally of just kind of like unplugging, unwinding. And as you start to like go through it, your brain starts to kind of like go of things and you kind of get into this relaxed phase. And I think that's whenever a lot of like creativity or kind of this mental health kind of kicks in a little bit of just like, hey, I'm, I'm good. Things are fine. I'm not broken, whether I'm like sore or stiff or if I played bad, I can kind of like, hey, you know, like I knew that my hip was a little bit tight. Let me just kind of focus on making sure that that thing is going to be loose whenever I go play tomorrow. That makes sense. When it comes to players preparing for tournaments, one of our experiences is that, and I don't know if this is quote unquote correct or not, but, and it's probably player dependent, but, you know, workouts might have gotten scaled down a little bit as players were preparing for tournaments or about to go into a tournament. Tell us what you generally would prescribe to someone playing in tournament, let's playing in like call it 15 tournaments a year or something of that nature as far as, okay. What are workouts, let's call it a Thursday through Sunday tournament. What do workouts look like that week? What do the day of workouts slash warmups, cooldowns look like? And how does how does that impact everything else? For the most part, like if someone's been really consistent with their workouts, like over, over the course of like that season, you know, I'm almost kind of like this, we're, we're still doing the same work for the most part. But we might be dialing back like our reps or our sets or just like our total volume itself, depending on like where they're at. And so it, it could be like, hey, instead of working at like 70%, we're working at like 50%. Or we're, instead of doing, you know, five sets or four sets, we're going to do half the sets. And so your workload itself and your intensity is going to be a little bit lower, but we still need to be training like an athlete. And so you'll see guys throwing medicine balls. You'll see them like lifting heavy weights. It's just that it's not going to be at, you know, 70% of what they were doing whenever they're not playing in that tournament, but they're still doing something just to kind of feel strong and get muscles activated and fire up just because you're going to be doing that as you end up playing. And so as far as like things that go, like if they're playing, I'm kind of thinking of like, hey, let's get some like activation work. Let's use some bands because we can work really fast with those without putting a lot of stress on the joints. Let's let's do some medicine ball throws and get explosive. Let's do some movements. And, and a lot of it too is, it's kind of just like, as you're going through those movements, like, how are you doing those movements? And so, like, uh, just kind of understanding, like, hey, if I'm a little bit tighter, maybe I cut this even a little bit shorter and, and spend a little bit more time on some stretches. But I would say, for the most part, y- your workout shouldn't vary so much from, like, hey, I'm, I'm in season and I'm not doing any of this stuff anymore because I'm going to play in a tournament this week. It's more of just kind of like, let's just dial back and understand, like, how much we need to dial back or what do we need to, you know, cut out and maybe add in and continue to make you feel like you're strong and some of that could easily be like hey let's let's understand that like hey maybe from like a nutrition standpoint you know like instead of cutting back your workout let's maybe like so it's not always like a subtraction sometimes it might just be like hey let's maybe like add a little bit of carbs the night before so that now we have a little bit more fuel for that that next day or let's you know like add some more fats into your diet and so all of a sudden now like your energy like we're still feeling strong we're still doing everything but our energy level is still kind of remaining at that same point to play well for your tour players who are having to walk you know four or five miles a day most days do you prescribe any cardio 
to get them conditioned for that? And if so, what do you think, you know, the best kind of cardio would be? For the, for the most part, I mean, I, I like doing more of like that high intensity interval training just because that's going to mimic more of like what they're doing. I mean, they are, they are walking, you know, but they walk so much that I don't think they need, like, I'm almost having to give it from like a performance of like, Hey, do we need to get better at walking? And they probably answer probably not so much, but it's more of like, Hey, let's, let's keep our intensity levels up so that we're kind of recovering in between. If they have like a break, I would say like, I, I love like doing like, like, like swimming or doing things like using like a Proteus or like rowing machines, you know, bikes are good because there's, they're low impact. The only problem is that they're, you're, you're in this hip flexion majority of the time. And so all of a sudden my hips are going to be a little bit tighter. So it's kind of like understanding, like, hey, I don't want you to have tighter hips by doing bike, even though it's better on your joints. So I think the, like a, a rowing machine is really great. Uh, I think of like swimming is a great, like cardio also, just because it's like, for me, I'm thinking about let's, let's take some pressure off of our joints. And if we can do that, I think for the most part, and we can keep our, like doing some of those, like interval works i think for the most part you should be able to kind of recover quickly and i, I think that would help out performance more than anything else the heat is the hardest part yeah yeah that could that could be a lot to manage cooper i have experience with that he had the u.s u.s mid-am qualifier down here at uh in georgia just the other week and it was it it was pretty. I think I don't know what the effective temperature was or whatever they say. It was in the hundreds. Why don't you tell them about the drink you made? Oh, that is. Uh, I don't, normally we don't talk much about ourselves on here, but I did. Uh, we've talked. We've talked with some other guests and talked about electrolytes, et cetera. And you know, I like the electrolyte drinks. Have never really done it for me. Um, they. I don't know. I always feel like you pay a lot of money for something to taste funny. Gatorade and Powerade. Not that the sugar is necessarily bad for you, but I've never really liked uh, all the sugar in them in that scenario. I'd rather be getting it from something else that I'm eating or consuming. And so what I ended up making, I had an old, you know, C4. I don't, I don't, uh, the word, the pre-workout, I don't, I don't use C4 anymore, but I had an old canister around. And so I filled that, I took uh, pink salt and crystal light and mixed that up in there. And we found that that at least in our experiences was pretty good at helping us get the get some of the electrolytes we need retain water and also taste pretty normal just tastes like tastes like you're drinking a bit a little bit of seawater uh with some lemon it lemonade seawater which isn't the worst tell us about playing in that kind of heat what you would recommend players do from an electrolyte standpoint and nutrition standpoint yeah i mean you definitely got to get hydrated in that kind of heat I love electrolytes, you know, like for the most part, I mean, they, they all kind of do have like a little bit of like, like aspartame taste or like some kind of like kind of weird taste to them. But I, I think the biggest thing about it is uh, just like as you start to just sweat, you're just constantly like sweating out minerals. And so if you're not putting minerals back in, you're just actually like diluting the minerals that you have inside of your body. And so I feel like electrolytes are like key, especially in this kind of heat. If you're going to be playing in a tournament, it's going to be what, four, five hours, right? maybe six, depending on like how much you end up going before and how slow some people might be playing in front of you. But I think like in this heat, like you have to have electrolytes. I, I'm, I'm big on like amino acids, which are like found in like C4 and that helps out, especially like from like cognition, like just being able to like think through shots and like, so normally I would say like, Hey, let's go with uh, like a electrolyte drink before you go play. And then maybe like mid round. And then if you have a multiple day, like we might do another one, like 
after you end up playing also, you know, amino acids, maybe we can mix that in before you end up, you know, starting off. Um, as far as like nutrition goes, I know people are always a little bit different on it. You know, some people respond really well to sugar and some people don't. And so I think, I think carbs help, help you out, especially if you're having like, if you're just kind of feeling like you're fading a little bit, like carbs are definitely going to give you that boost to kind of get you back up to normal. And they're going to be that kind of quick energy boost that you end up needing. So just depending on like what you kind of naturally end up doing, you know, I have some clients that are like on these like high fat, uh, high protein diets. And for them, I would say like, let's, let's keep that going. And I have some clients that kind of have a little bit of like a mixed diet or, or not so much of like a strict diet. And I would say for them, we'll, we'll introduce a little bit more carbs, like beforehand, middle, afterwards, just because, you know, that that's how they end up responding or that kind of works. That's been their diet before going into that tournament. So as far as like nutrition goes, I try to keep it for the most part, like the same, like we're not trying to introduce anything like just like you wouldn't try to work on like a new swing change right before you go play on a tournament. You kind of keep what's been working for you. I kind of think of the same thing from like nutrition of like, hey, like what's been working well? Like, how do you respond to like carbs? And, you know, like you feel like you get a big, you know, after you have carbs, you get some energy, but then you have a big dip. And then if so, like what do we need to kind of help like manage that so you don't feel like you're crashing, you keep focused. Um, just a little bit, just kind of monitoring, kind of figuring out like, hey, uh, you know, what did that heat? You know, what was that time whenever I did eat that snack? And then how did that help out with my performance? Or how did it, you know, maybe hopefully it doesn't, but like if it does affect you negatively. How did that affect you negatively? And then now you kind of understand like, what are some small adjustments and tweaks you can end up making to that make it a little bit better. That makes sense. One of the ways that I have been, I've used to figure out, especially on the electrolytes front, whether I'm running low on them. And I, I'm pretty sure this is the, reasonable way to do it is you realize after a little bit whether you're playing or just after you have some sort of event where you've where you sweat out a lot it's that feeling of i could drink a million gallons of water and i still feel like man i am thirsty i'm thirsty yeah, and, yeah. uh that's that's what i use as a gate what that's what i've used as a gauge in the past and so now whenever i feel that or whatever i'm worried about feeling that i take that pink sea salt and lemonade have a little bit of that and have not had that same issue anymore at all. Is pink, is pink salt something you think, obviously we need, it sounds like adding amino acids into that mixture might be a good thing. Is pink salt something that you think would be sufficient as far as getting the necessarily necessary electrolytes? So for the pink sea, uh, sea salt, uh, there's a guy named Robert Yang. There's this really good book called All in One Nutrition. And, and it's funny that you said that because that's usually that's one of the big things that he recommends as far as he uses uh peak Himalayan salt or just mineral salts. It, and he has like a formula for like a pinch for how many ounces of water you end up using. And so what he finds is that before you go to bed, he wants you to have like so much electrolytes just because most guys who end up going to bed, they'll end up like drinking a ton of water and they have to like get up in the middle of the night to like go to the restroom. And so he was like instead of having to chug a ton of water to stay hydrated, to have like a good night's sleep, you know, like throw in, I think like a pinch for every two ounces. It, I think that's like his recommendation, but I think that's how Gatorade started. It was basically, it was like, it was like salt tabs and, and sugar. So for the most part, the, I think it's like a cheaper form of electrolytes, really. Yeah. It's a straight, it's a strong combination. Well, th this has all been very helpful for us and we're running up, into time here. So the 
Well, let's transition to the last question we ask every guest. And for you, it's going to be a two-parter and it's going to be a little unique. And I'll explain why after I ask it. So the first part is if you go back to yourself as a junior golfer and tell yourself just one thing, what would that one thing be? And if you could tell a junior golfer one thing, what would that one thing be? Obviously, in your case, it sounded like you didn't get into golf till a little bit later. So if you could tell your and modify the first part to be, if you could tell yourself something when you were just starting off, what would that one thing be? So I would probably say you know, ha- have more fun with what you're learning and, and try to explore it a little bit more and implement it. You know, a lot of times I would end up kind of just learning something and taking it for what it was versus like, hey, let me use this and apply this to myself and kind of be the guinea pig behind it. I feel like later on I started doing that, especially with like diets of like, hey, you know, like somebody would ask me like about a keto diet or whatever it is. And I'm like, let's do it together and we'll hold each other accountable. And, you know, this would be a good experiment. And I felt like that person ended up following through a little bit more. And I felt like I ended up learning a lot more through the process. And so, you know, I think a lot of it is as I was kind of getting into it of, you know, what I was learning instead of me just like looking at YouTube videos or reading, you know, reading things in a book of like, hey, let's let's take this into practice and let's like just turn this into a little bit of a mini experiment and, and try to figure out like what can I take from this to maybe help somebody else you know, either either do this or, or maybe or maybe like, hey, this isn't a good idea and this is why you shouldn't do it. Perfect. And then as to if you're talking to telling a junior golfer just one piece of advice, what would that one piece be? I would say more than anything else of just being just consistent. You know, I think a lot of the uh, junior golfers I end up having, they, they end up seeing stuff on like, you know, Instagram and social media and, and it, everything is just so like um, extreme or kind of just like, hey, this is like the end goal of what you want to be. And for you, you're on a good path right now. Let's just continue to get better at all the small things that you're doing right now and just be really consistent with that. And, and I kind of tell them like, hey, the things that are easy to do are also the things that are easy not to do. And it's so easy to get caught up in what other people are doing versus if you continue on the track you're on right now, like you're going to get a D1 offer. It, it's just that you've got to play in tournaments. you got to do your workouts and you have to have mindset and and some really good habits to kind of follow that and if you can just stick to that can't that plan and and on that and stay on that path you know you'll get there and so don't try to continue to change things just because you saw it work with somebody else just stick to like well working for you we can do this to get better at that itself very cool well if people want to find you on social media reach out to you work with you where can they do that so mike Instagram handle is uh, Athletic Golf Fitness. Uh, our website's athleticgolffitness.com. I'm on Facebook, but not really that active on it. So you can still find me there, but it's just, it might take me a week to respond back to you. Perfect. Be sure to give Jonathan a follow. And then if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating. And if you're listening on YouTube, please like and subscribe. And if you're trying to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at the tournament code and on Twitter slash X tournament code. As always, we appreciate you joining us and look forward to diving in deeper to what it takes to play elite tournament golf.